Our world today seems wild and out of control. It seems almost impossible for ordinary people to make wise decisions that can keep them safe and healthy. Welcome to Words from the Wildwood. I am your host, Richard Stidham, and I hope to give you today a better understanding of what is really happening in the world around you and how you can hear God's voice over the noise of the world around us. Let's go today to our new segment. All right, everybody, welcome back to our podcast. This week, we are still plowing through the book of Revelation, trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen in those last days after the church is gone. Now, last week, our focus was on the sounding of the seventh trumpet. This was the one that was heralded by a a pause just before it, and it began to unveil the things that were happening in heaven. So those, those events in heaven there were the three and a half years during which the witnesses were presenting their ministry on the earth, then their death, they were sacrificed. The whole world thought that this whole thing was over, that Moses and Elisha were gone again, and that, the, uh, that there would be no more trouble. But now this only brings about the second half of the tribulation. The witnesses were raised to life. You heard the voice from heaven say, come up here. They ascended back into heaven. Then John saw the things that were beginning to happen in the heavens themselves. The temple was there. There was the Ark of the Covenant that was being revealed in in its holy place. But now John's going to move his attention. We are in Revelation chapter 12. John is going to go back from heaven to the earth, and he will see strange signs on the earth. Now, these are not literal things. These are visions. These are images. This is apocalyptic literature. It's meant to unveil or to reveal the things that are going to happen in the future. So even though these things sound incredibly strange, they sound unreal. These are actually just representations of what's going on on the earth. Now, there are many people out there who believe that these images are meant to convey some kind of special message Perhaps that the Bible was written by aliens from other planets, and this is supposed to reveal some sort of supernatural thing going on that's uh, facilitated by aliens from other worlds. None of that makes any sense to those of us who believe that the Word of God is what it is, the actual living Word of God. We don't need other explanations. We don't need to bring other things into the Word that is not here. Let's see what it says for us in Revelation 12. Now here we're going to start with Three prophetic signs that are reflecting earthly events. Three prophetic signs that are reflecting earthly events. The first thing we see in Revelation 12, verse 1, three characters step onto the stage. A woman, a child, and a dragon. So let's see what's exactly going on here today, Revelation 12, 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor, and agony was on her, and she was about to give birth. Let's stop right there. When it says a woman, we're not, of course, talking about a literal woman. In the book of Revelation, you will find four images of the woman. Four different women representing four different characters or four different events on the earth. This first woman sign here in Revelation 12 represents Israel. Israel, if you'll take a look at it. 
Israel has been waiting for her Messiah since the days when Jerusalem was destroyed. The Israel has been waiting for her Messiah to come, her conquering Messiah, her her champion who will restore Israel to the to the crown of the world and, and make her the, the the nation she was supposed to be. And of course, that's why they didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't see him fulfilling what they wanted their Messiah to be, what they thought the Messiah of Israel would look like. So here it says we see a great sign. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon, under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars. Of course, we can see right off the bat, the 12 stars do represent the 12 tribes of Israel. After all, the 144,000 that were the witnesses in the first half of the tribulation, they were 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were there to give word to their brethren that the Messiah was coming back. And that's why he, we see her here. She is pregnant, crying out in labor and in agony. Because the Messiah is about to come back. The first three and a half years are done. Now we enter the most dire and terrible time that the earth will ever see. The great tribulation. And that is why Israel is crying out. She is in agony, waiting for her Messiah to be born into the world or to return to the world as we know is going to happen. But let's keep going with Revelation 12, looking at verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. On its heads were seven diadems. Now remember now, the diadem is the crown of the king. We talk about the church having the Stephanos, which is the victor's crown, the overcomer's crown. It is not the king's crown. So on this beast, we see this representation. There are seven heads, okay, and then there are ten horns. Many people have said these seven heads represent seven extinct kingdoms that has, Satan has moved with and used over the years, but there are 10 coming kingdoms, 10 that are on their way, and of those 10, there will be seven kings, seven kingly figures, seven who will wear the diadem of leadership. And it says in verse 4, his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurtled them to the earth. Now we know that when Satan led his rebellion against God, that he did take away a third of the heavenly host, a third of the heavenly messengers who believed that Satan was destined to rise up and take that place and they wanted to be with him in that kingdom that they believed he was going to create. And it says he hurtled them to the earth. They were cast out of their proper place in heaven. The Bible says they left their proper estate or their first estate, and they were sent down to the earth. Now it goes on and says this, and the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, he might devour the child. Ever since the days of Herod the king, Satan has tried to stop the coming of the Messiah. Herod wanted to stop that. He, he heard from the, from the wise men, hey, that the king of the Jews has been born, the rightful king. He was the usurper, but the rightful king was being born. That is why he said, now go find the king so I can worship him, honor him. No, so I could go kill him. Just exactly the way that Pharaoh tried to kill off the future of Israel by killing off all the young boys who were born so that no leader could arise there in Egypt. Now again, Satan is trying the same failed strategy that he's had. He went ahead and had Herod 
go back and to kill all the children under the age of two. We know that Jesus was two when the wise men finally got there from their foreign land. And that in that night, Joseph was received a dream and said, hey, take your wife, take your kid, get out of Dodge because Herod's going to try and kill this baby just the way Pharaoh tried to kill Moses. So they get up, they leave in the middle of the night, and the scripture says there will be a weeping herd in Ramah in that land of, of, of David because Herod would send his troops and kill all the children under two, all the males under two, so that he could prevent this one born the king of the Jews from taking over his throne. So Satan is going to try again to destroy Israel. He will try to destroy it in that last three and a half years, try to make it impossible for him to come back. Many scholars, many uh, theologians have said that that's what Hitler had in mind. His final solution was not to the solution of the problem of the German people by wiping out all of those of Jewish descent. He wanted to solve the problem of the Messiah ever coming back. Adolf Hitler, moved by Satan, wanted to destroy the people of Israel while they were still not a nation. Remember, they didn't become a nation until 48. The war ended in 45. So he wanted to wipe out the Jews so there would be no reason for the Messiah to come back. There'd be no people for him to return for. The church has been taken out of the world. Now it's time for the Jews to receive their proper king. So it says Satan stood there to destroy so in these last days, in these last three and a half years, Satan will do whatever he can to destroy the people of Israel, to destroy the reason for the Messiah to come back. And verse 5 says, But she gave birth to a son, a male who is going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter. That's a quote from the Old Testament, by the way. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So the um, Lord is going to make sure that child is safe, that that child is going to come back to reign. Verse 6 says this, and it's very interesting. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1,260 days. We've seen this. This is three and a half years. It's exactly what this looks like. So if you want to think about this, if you want to understand what's going to happen in these days, think about what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15 through 16. Matthew 24, 15 through 16. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, that's how we know the temple will be rebuilt. Let the reader understand what has just been said. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. If you're on a mountain, if you're on a housetop, don't go into your house, just run. If you're in the field, you see this, run. Get out because the terrible times are going to come. What's he talking about? When Antiochus Epiphanes was in charge of Judea in the day, he, uh, he de desecrated the temple. He put up a false god in the temple itself and he sacrificed a pig. And that sacrificing of the pig defiled the temple. That is why you have Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the celebration of the cleansing, of the rededication of the temple. To rededicate the temple, they had to have uh, eight days worth of oil to burn while they rededicated the temple, but they only had one day. And God performed a miracle and allowed the anointing oil to burn in the candles for eight days, not one eight days. And God did that so the temple could be cleansed, could be made right, and the worship of God could continue. In these last days, there will be a temple, a tribulation temple. And in that temple, after three and a half years, the Antichrist will break 
his covenant with Israel. He will break that bow. He will shatter it and go out to destroy them. And in doing that, those who see this desecration of abomination, this 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 foul thing happening in the temple, they'll go, there it is. There's the sign that Daniel told us about. Let's run. Let's get to the hills. Let's get into the wilderness where we can be kept safe. There are a number of places in the wilderness where many people have debated that those true faithful Jews who will understand what God is doing, they will flee there to be kept safe from the wrath of the Antichrist, from the wrath of this dragon that, that appears here in this scripture. So that's the first thing that we see right there. We see these three figures, this, this prophetic woman, a prophetic child, and a prophetic dragon. But something is going to happen in these days, something very important. A dragon will be thrown out of heaven. A dragon will be thrown out of heaven. Revelation 12, 7. Stay with me. Follow this. This is not typically what people have taught in Sunday school, but we're going to go with the scripture, not what people's opinions. We're going to go with the word of God and see what it says. It says in 12.7, Then war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. The words also cast down. The ancient serpent who was called devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, and Jesus has already identified Satan as the father of lies. He was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. Even this is, is amazing because he says you know, he was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. Uh, people don't often stop and think about where is Satan? Where is he located? Where does he live? Uh, does he live in some pit in some subterranean world? Um, remember, uh, we see Satan cast down. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. But throughout the Old Testament, Satan seems to have some kind of access to heaven. In, in, in the book of Job, uh, you know, God looks out, he looks at his, his angels, and then he sees Lucifer. He sees that morning star. And he says, where have you come from? Uh, from walking throughout the earth. And he says, so what do you think about my servant Job? And he says, I don't think much about him. How is Satan in the presence of God Almighty? How is this ultimate sinner, this ultimate liar, how is he given this access to God? And I believe it's because God had a purpose for him. If we go on, look at the book of Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Zechariah 3, 1 through 4. If you follow this podcast for the last couple years, you will have read this story before, but we're going to take you through it again. Zechariah 3, 1 through 4. Then he showed me Joshua, or Yahshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yahweh and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Wait a minute. We've got three figures. We've got the high priest Joshua who served in the temple. We have the angel of the Lord, typically interpreted as Jesus himself in his pre-incarnate form. And we see Satan standing at his right hand to accuse Joshua of being unworthy. And Yahweh said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Is this not one who was uh, destined for destruction, but I have saved him? I have brought him back. I have ransomed him from his guilt. 
And that says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, to Joshua, he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. What an amazing picture. Here we are in heaven. There is this, this guilt that is on Joshua the high priest. And his garments look appear filthy, defiled, uh, unworthy of stepping into God's presence. We know that the the priests would step into the the bronze laver outside of of the of the temple, and they would make sure there was no spot or blemish or blood or soot on their clothing before they entered, because they had to be completely pure. And Joshua was standing here, and he was filthy. It wasn't filthy from the sacrifice. It wasn't filthy from work. It was filthy from the deeds of his mind and the deeds of his heart. He was not pure before God. But now, just like in Isaiah, Isaiah is in the temple. He's mourning the death. the death of King Uzziah. He was in the temple mourning that loss when he beheld the Lord in glory. And he said, Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the Lord. We always have these experiences where we suddenly realize how unworthy we are of God's glory, of God's God's grace, and we see it happening right here with Josiah, sorry, Joshua the uh, high priest. And uh, the thing is, Satan is always there to accuse us. If you ever feel like you just can't do it, you're just not worthy enough, you're just not special enough to share the gospel, to tell others, to pray for others, then remember this. Satan is the accuser. He is the one who wants you to be defeated. He wants you to be torn down. He wants you to have no strength to stand in that day so that he doesn't have to worry about you. He doesn't have to fight you. And keep going in Revelation 12.10, you'll see what I mean. In Revelation 12.10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. That's important. He's accusing them day and night. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives in the face of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. And that's the second time we've seen that. That's the second time that phrase, his time is short. Satan knows in these last seven years, and now these last three and a half years, sooner or later, Jesus is going to come back. He can't stop it. He can't prevent it. Whatever damage he's going to do, whatever mischief he's going to be up to, he has to do it quickly. Now you notice, that he is called the devil and Satan. The word devil, as we've said earlier, means accuser. It specifically means the slanderer, the one who accuses falsely. Remember, in Christ, you are cleansed of the past. You are free from that guilt. You are free from that condemnation. Unlike Jacob Marley in The Christmas Carol, you don't have chains binding you to the past, binding you to your sins. You are set free 
in Jesus Christ. And the second word he calls him is Satan. Satan means adversary. It means you have an enemy whose greatest weapon is false accusation. Satan hates you because you are a child of God. Because God loves you, he hates you. And he will do what he can to destroy you. And it says they've overcome by two things, the blood and the testimony. Let's take a look at these two things. Romans 8, 33 through 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Remember this. Satan is the accuser. But it says, who can bring any charge against the elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God Almighty, who indeed is interceding for us? God has us a lawyer, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the one who says, no, I died for him. No, I took his punishment. He is free. She is free. She is no longer under that punishment, under that guilt. And that's important. The blood of Jesus completely sets us free. The second thing I want you to see is go back to earlier in the book of Revelation. We were talking about the churches, and this says this in Revelation 2.13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, that's the first thing, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. That's it. That's the power. That's our victory. Our victory is we hold to the name of Jesus, not to any other name, not to any other leader, not to other spiritual guru. We don't depend on other we depend on the name of Jesus. And we do not deny the faith. We do not turn our back on once saved, always saved, justified by faith, made right by the blood of Christ. There are so many churches out there right now, and I am thinking of one church in particular that I see often, and their belief is this, that yes, it's okay to have faith in Jesus, but you have to go through these certain rituals. You have to go through this certain process. You have to tick these marks off the list to make sure that you are actually one of God's elite people. And if you're anybody else, if you're in any other church, if you're not them, then you're nobody, then you're flawed, then you failed, then you're not truly a believer. And I don't know anyone who can accuse me of being not a believer because the Bible just said in our, in our last few minutes that Jesus is the one who justifies. He is the one who finds me not guilty. Nobody else can heap that guilt on me again because he has removed it. But let's keep going. So we know now we have these three characters that are participating in chapter 12. A woman, a child, and a dragon. Now we know that the dragon is thrown down out of heaven. There are those who really believe, and we've sort of hinted at it here, that when the angels in heaven originally rebelled, they lost their place, their first estate, and, and somehow they retained some sort of visitation rights, some sort of ability to go back up. But now, now that this has happened, we're in the last three and a half years, now Satan is thrown down. He no longer can go up there. He can no longer come before God as one of the sons of God. He can no longer have that access. Now his time is cut off and now he is angry. Three and a half years left. He has to do the damage he can do because his father has thrown him to the earth. And that's how we come to this very last one right here. There is a persecuted woman 
who will be delivered. The persecuted woman is delivered. Revelation 12, 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown to the earth, he had been cast out, lost that access to heaven, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Israel will now come under relentless attack. Israel will be the focus of the anger uh, of Satan, of the Antichrist. They will be focused on the destruction of Israel because they will want to stop the returning of the Messiah. The woman was given two wings, however, of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness. I want you to consider this as you look at those words right there. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31, my worst, my wife's uh, favorite verses. Uh, Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. He gives power to the faint because they're under persecution. To him who has no might, he increases strength. People have been through three and a half years of this leadership of this of this false Christ, and they are probably drained. It says, even youths grow faint and weary, and the young men fall from exhaustion. But they who wait upon Yahweh shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on the on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, for they shall walk and not faint. There it is. Israel is going to be sustained during the next three and a half years. The witnesses have come. The witnesses have done their work. The witnesses have left. They said that many were, were shaken and began to return to the worship of God after that first three and a half years, after the witnesses were resurrected. And now this, this great beast, this great um, something on the earth has happened. And now Israel be, will become persecuted, hounded even. And those who have returned to their faith will will go to the wilderness, will we'll hide in the rocks of the cliff. They will look for some way out. It said they should be given two wings like a great eagle, direct reference to Isaiah 40, so that she could fly far from the serpent's presence and she could find her place in the wilderness where she will be fed for a time, times, and half a time. In, in Old Testament speak, that's like three and a half years, and we knew that was coming already. From the mouth of the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away in its torrent. An army, a human army, will pursue Israel, will pursue to destroy them because it's, this is their last chance. This is their last three and a half years. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. Some believe that these massive earthquakes that will happen in the end in the end days, that these massive upheavals will hinder or destroy this army, keep it from coming. Like I said, we're not going to be here, so we don't know. But we know that God is going to intervene on Israel's behalf. He always has. He always will. Verse 17. So the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and to have the testimony about Jesus. Now, some people have said, is it possible? Is it possible that the rest of these are talking about Gentiles who've come to faith in Christ in the last days? Yes, totally possible. God can do anything he chooses, anything he chooses to do. Uh, remember, the purpose of the tribulation is the redemption of Israel. That's where he's really working, to bring back the people of Israel, to restore the, the children of Abraham to that covenant promise. But I don't think God is going to turn away anybody who might awaken in the last three and a half years, might see what's happening, 
might remember some sermon they learned a long time ago, might might remember some study they did in the Bible and go, oh my gosh, this sounds just like what the Bible says is going to happen. So here it is. I better turn to Jesus while I have a chance. So Satan will try to destroy anyone who has the testimony of Jesus. Now, the church that was commented on earlier in Revelation, they held on to the point of death. It is possible that these who keep the word of God in these last days may also keep it unto death, but they will still wear the Stephanos, the victor's crown. And it says, and he stood on the sand of the sea. So so Satan in in this demonic representation is standing there breathing out threats and violence against those who would believe in Christ. So although people spend so much time here in the book of Revelation trying to figure out uh, all of these diverse signs, all these symbols, it's real simple. Three and a half years in, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is that the world will be getting ready for the coming of the Messiah. And Satan will realize that and will redouble his effort to destroy it. And Satan will finally be cut off from his access to the heavenlies, where he is the accuser, where he is the reviler, where he is the bearer of false witness, that will be cut off from him. And the fact that he finally loses that access drives him insane. And he goes out with all vigor and vigor to destroy any remnant of Israel or anyone who would hang on to the name of Jesus. But it says here that even here in these last days, God's going to make a provision for the people of Israel. He's going to make a provision for those who will seek him. So here's my thing. Pray for those that you know that they can come to Christ. And if not, pray that they will be aware of what's happening. That's why we need to know this. So we can tell people, hey, if, if one day we're all mysteriously gone and you know if we die of radiation or whatever lame excuse they give the world, if you begin to see this happening, a world takeover, a power struggle, if you see all of these things happening and this, this, this sudden viciousness against Israel, then you need to run to the hills. You need to get out because this is nothing more than the Antichrist trying to flex his muscle in the last three and a half years of the history of the world before the second coming of Christ. So I encourage you guys go through this again. Just realize there's things happening in the heavenlies that we don't see, but we will see the consequences of them here on the earth. And those who are left here will face the wrath of the accuser and the, uh, of, of the slanderer and of the opponent of all things that, that stand for God. And he will go after everybody who has that witness. Our only hope, of course, back to Zechariah, that it is God who justifies. It is God who purifies it is God's word that cleanses us, puts new new vestments on us, gives us the purity that we need to serve him. So whatever you're going through this week, whatever you've gone through, whatever struggles, whatever hurts, I encourage you, Zechariah 3, 1 through 4, you can go to your father. You can plead the blood of Christ. You can beg for forgiveness. You can confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And like Joshua, we can stand before him justified and Satan will have nothing to say about it because he will have no power over you because your father justifies. It is, it is Jesus who makes us right before the Lord. I give you this encouragement as you go out today. You are God's people. You are dressed in his raiments. You are a light to the world 
go and shine while there's still time. God bless you, and we'll see you next week with Words from the Wildwood. Thank you for joining us today on Words from the Wildwood. We are a listener-supported program presented without commercial interruption. If you have enjoyed this program and want to support our outreach, please send any gifts to Richard Stidham, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas, 77521. Thank you for listening today. God bless, and we will see you again in the Wildwood.